It's going to be an interesting day in God's word. We're going to see Jesus call a woman a dog, and then he's going to spit in a guy's mouth. And I'm serious, and so it's going to be interesting, for sure. But before that, we just need to recap about what has been going on here in this span of time. What is God's word starting to speak to us and show us uh, here even now, because what we've been working through for the past few weeks is how he has been rejecting the traditions, the setup, the Pharisees, the scribes, these things that have been going on. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 8, he says to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of the father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is korban, that is, an offering devoted to God. So he clarifies for them, verse 12, he says, listen, you no longer let him do, meaning God, you no longer let God, or you no longer let this man do, sorry, anything for his father or mother you nullify the word of God by your tradition. You nullify it. That you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. So he's going against the traditions that these men have built up. All these rules, all these practices that they've built up in order to worship God. But these were not the things that God desired. Just like we talked about last week, God is seeking and looking for, just like we saw in David, a, a broken and a pure and a humbled heart. A humbled spirit and a humbled heart out before him. That is why he was getting after them in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, I don't want your burnt offerings. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't care about these festivals. I don't want to look at them. What he does desire is a humble and broken spirit and for us to give him our hearts. And then he clarifies for us last week, it's, it's not these outside things that are defiling you. This whole system that you built up, this you know, 30-page thing on uh, the ritual cleansing of pots and pans. That's a real thing. All these practices, all these traditions, all these rituals, that's not what I want because it's not the outside things of the world that follow you. Jesus has shown that over and over and over again as he laid hands on the leper, as he let the unclean woman touch him. It does not make him unclean. This system is broken, and they do not understand that your sin comes from within you. It is from your heart. Verse 23 of chapter 7. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So the Jewish people, they had fallen away. They had entrapped themselves in this legalistic system where they could not operate, they could not follow, they could not truly worship God because they were, essentially they were worshiping their own structure. They are putting their time and effort into them instead of simply loving the Lord your God the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And now we get to see that contrasted, that, that compared to a Gentile mother and other Gentiles that he's going to go about healing and saving even now. So, before we dig into the word today in verses 24 through 37, let's just pray together now as we open God's word. Father God, thank you so much. Um, thank you for bringing us all to this place this week. God, all the distractions, all the trials, all the ups and downs. God, we pray for 
our brothers and sisters who are like Chris Knight in the hospital right now, continue to be there with him, helping improve his health and bringing them and his family home. By God, we pray for all of our brothers and sisters who could not make it this week, who have ball games and all these things from the world that draw us in, Lord, and many of them are good, but God, please help us to put our priorities in their place. So Father God, thank you for this opportunity to worship, to learn about you, to learn about your son and what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us even now, that we are standing on your promises, God, just like we sang about earlier. God, that we can have access to Jesus, that we can have access to you and to eternal life, that we do not have to die and spend an eternity in hell, but we do not have to live in a hellish existence here on this earth even now. God, free us from that. Show us the way. Give us a clean and clear path. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, before I get into this, again, I just want to go back to Isaiah because it's so important. Not chapter 1, but if you want to flip to verse 35, or chapter 35, real quick. Isaiah 35, Isaiah is a book that has a lot of prophecy, a lot of things that are forthcoming about who the Messiah is going to be and what that time is going to be like. And we see that beginning in verse 4, as he's talking to these cowardly, this broken nation of Israel, these people who have uh, been oppressed and beaten down, who he's had to rebuke and exhort, and this is him saying, he says, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. And this is what that's going to look like. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush into the wilderness, the streams in the desert, the parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs, and the haunt of the jackals in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, papyrus, everything is going to be made new, everything is going to be nourished, everything is going to be flooded, it's going to be fed, and there will be a road, verse 8, a road will be there, and a way, a way is going to be provided, and it will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up onto it. They will, they will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sign will flee. These are the signs of what is to come this way, this holy way. Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's the one who's going to unstop the ears of the deaf like we'll see today. He's going to give the mute a tongue so that he may sing for joy. And we already have seen in Mark how the lame will leap like a deer. This is who our God is. He is going to come in and he's going to refresh and he's going to renew all through what Jesus has done. And he's going to give us a holy way and a path so that we as the redeemed may walk on it until we return to Zion, until we return to the presence and the never-ending city of God like we'll see in Revelation 21. But that all starts here. Now, a lot of people think these two next little uh, messages, 24 through 37, they can kind of be blow-through stories about Christ. 
They can kind of be looked over, but they have some deep theological meaning, and they have a wonderful meaning that is directly applied to us, each and every one of us, because we are the ones who get the crumbs from the table. So let's get into that here. Verse 24, Mark chapter 7. He got up, meaning Jesus, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Later at the end of this passage, at the very end of the chapter, uh, these people, they're going to see the things that Jesus has done, and they're going to say this, he has done everything well. He has done everything well. And what I would say out of everything that we've seen in Jesus' life, the one thing that he was bad at was going unnoticed, right? Jesus Christ was not going to be the one who would win a hide-and-seek game. He was hard to hide. He was hard to stay away from. People wanted to see him, wanted to be around him. So even though he did not want anyone to know it, he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, came and fell at his feet. Now, Mark goes into significant detail for this woman and describes who she is. He says, the woman was a Gentile. I mean, she was not a Jewish person. She was a, a Greek or an Aramaic speaker. She was Syrophoenician by birth. So she was not of the tribe of Judah. She was not one of God's chosen people. She was outside of that. And she was living in Tyre. Tyre was outside of the borders of Israel. This was a pagan worshiping city. They did not follow God. They did not follow um, Jehovah, as, they, as you would say back then. They were after these pagan gods, ritualistic things, sacrificial things. And yet when she heard about him, this woman, she, she was, came to this desperate state because her little daughter, her little daughter had an unclean spirit. And so in humility, even though she, all she had heard about this man, what could she have heard? When Jesus was in this region before, in this area, that was when he had cast the demons out of the a man, the, the legion that went into the pigs and they drowned themselves within the sea. And then he, unlike many of the people that Jesus rescued, Jesus saved, Jesus healed, he told him, that man, who is now in his right mind, he had put his clothes back on, he was not cutting or hurting himself anymore, Jesus had saved him and pulled those demons out of him. He had told that man, unlike many of the others, like, now go and tell everybody in Go and tell all the people in town. Go bear my witness, essentially, to this area. And so most likely from his testimony, his witness, that people in the area wouldn't know who he is. Jesus is trying to get away, so he gets out of Israel, where the Jewish crowds hopefully would not follow him. And yet here he is, yet again, being swarmed. And it's because of the testimony of someone that he had likely healed. That is, that's the case. And so this woman, even though she doesn't believe in Jehovah, she doesn't believe in this uh, Jewish God. She's hearing these things, hearing the things that Jesus has done. And because of the desperate state of her daughter, being held by an unclean spirit, meaning like that spirit was causing her little daughter, that's all she's described as, so we're assuming a childlike state, 12 and years. Her little daughter is being caused by that demon to act in ways that are unclean. Now for a pagan woman, to believe that her daughter is acting in unclean ways. Who knows what that child was doing? Who knows what this mother was going through? The things that she was having to keep her from doing. 
And so this woman, she came and she fell at Christ's feet. She submitted herself fully before her in this filthy area in the street. She lays down. And the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So we know that she recognizes that Christ has authority over demons, likely because of the testimony of the man who had legion within him. And so she falls down before him and says, please, please, take this demon out of my child. And he replies to her in a very curious way. He said to her this, he said, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What does that have to do with anything? And that's one of the things, like people, they see this and they're like, I don't know what that means, and then you move on with your day. That's because we don't recognize that so often in scripture, whenever it's referring to children, especially in this case, when he's referring to the children, he's talking about the Jewish peoples, right? Christ came from the Jewish line to redeem the Jewish people, right? So let the children, let the Jews, let God's people be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread, which he's going to refer to himself as many, many times, this living bread, the bread of life. Is it proper to take this bread of life that's meant for the children and throw it to the dogs, meaning her, meaning the Gentiles? Oftentimes, throughout the New Testament, when they refer to the dogs, they are speaking of the Gentiles. Children, Jews. Dogs, Gentiles. And so he calls this woman a dog to her face. Now there's different, anyways. <clears throat> you can run with that however you want in your mind, but don't put words in Jesus' mouth is all I'm saying. And so the Gentiles, she, he, it almost seems like he insults her. And he, he, she could have taken it in that way. But instead, instead she persisted. Instead she knew that this man was good, Instead, she knew that this man had the capabilities, the power, the authority to heal her child and cast this demon out. And so she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So what this woman is essentially saying is that, God, Jesus, whatever you have left, whatever you have left, like, I will take that. It doesn't matter if it's under the table. It doesn't matter that you call me a dog. It doesn't matter any of these things. I want this. I know that you have it. We'll take whatever is left. She is desperate for it. And she's so humble. Humble. That she's essentially rebuking by going to this man, by asserting that he has power, by asserting that he has authority. She's going to this man and she's throwing away everything else that she's ever believed or ever sought after. Because she's found those things empty. Do you think that if this woman who lives in this pagan area, who worships these false gods, that she hasn't tried some kind of bloodletting ritual, some kind of other thing, that she's not prayed to whatever these other false gods are, that she hasn't made sacrifices to them, that she's not gone to their spiritual leaders and pleaded with them to heal? And they haven't. They've fallen short. A desperate mother will do anything for her child. So no doubt she went to the things that she would know about first. And they left her wanting. They couldn't do it. And so she goes to this man, even though it seems like she may have been insulted by him. I mean, he called her a dog. 
And even though that, you know, that in no language is that a, a good term, you know. And she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs, even me, under the table, will eat the children's crumbs. Her humility, her desperation, her belief about what Jesus could do, about he, what he was capable of. That was all that he needed. So then Jesus, he said, then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And so she went back to her home and she found her, ch her child laying on the bed and the demon was gone. Look at the comparison. Look at the contrast between how he works with her and how he works with the scribes and the Pharisees. She was humble. She was broken. She was desperate. And she showed him, I, I, I'll take anything that you have on his terms. And he gave it to her. Jesus gave it to her. He answered her. And honestly, that is what he does for each and every one of us. This is Jesus revealing. First of all, he just spoke out against last week. That it's not, you know, you can eat whatever you want to eat. It's not the things that go into your stomach that defile you. Even before that, he spoke, it's not these, um, uh, these traditions and these practices that defile you. And they're not what make you clean. It is the condition of your heart. And it is putting that into God's hands. And that's what this woman is doing, even if it's the leftovers. Even if it's what's left. And so Jesus is revealing Yes, he came from the line of the Jews to redeem the Jews. He promised he would never forsake them. He made that promise ever since the time of Abraham. He was going to redeem his people and save them. And they lived on that, and they failed within that, and they were brought up from that, and they continued. God continuously was faithful to them. But now we're going to see a new chapter. A new chapter in which he is not just meeting their needs. But he is now opening it up to any and all. And I don't think there's a single person in here from Jewish heritage. So if it was not for this, if it was not for the mercy of God, for Jesus revealing God's greater plan for all of people, that any of us would be able to have the Holy Spirit, that any of us would come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it would still be exclusive. It would still be said to one race, one people, one tribe. But now it was opened up to all nations, all people, all tongues, all tribes the very ends of the earth, Jesus is available for them, for us, all of us. Amen. Your child has been. And we see this continue on. It says, again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him, and again, this is another Gentile region. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking, they, we don't really know who the they is, but some of this man's friends who believed in him. Because this man was deaf, he had never heard of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know, but even in today's society, right, in today's world, because it's different in each and every society, each and every culture, each and every nation, deaf people are treated exceptionally difficult. Because if you're deaf, you cannot hear, but it also challenges the way in which you speak. So uh, if any of you have ever talked to any missionaries about how deaf people are treated in their countries, or even if you get on, um, I think, uh, Radical.net, it gives you an idea of 
all the different places in the world, um, like our missionaries who were here a couple weeks ago, they shared, you know, all these languages, right? All these languages in which the gospel has not been translated yet, the Bible has not been translated into yet. It, it's even worse for the deaf people. Because even once they get scripture into their language, how could they come to know? They're often abused, mistreated, misguided. It's a lot harder. And so essentially when you come to these people, you're coming to some of the lowest of the low. But these people, whoever this they is, they had mercy on this man. They had hope for this man. And so they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Deaf people were considered unclean at this time. Jesus going against all the traditions, all the practices, all the rituals. He took him away from the crowd in private. And this is what he did. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and then spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, with, that is, be opened. This is an Aramaic saying. And so immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them, tell no one. But the more he ordered, the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. What is happening here? Jesus laid his hands on the leopard, healed him. Jesus laid his hands on many other people, healed them. Some people, even like the women, they would touch the edge of his cloak and they would be healed. Why did Jesus spit on his hand, touch this guy's tongue, and stick his fingers in his ears? This man had no concept of what was really going on around him, right? And so essentially what Jesus was doing, he was meeting this man on his level. And he was essentially using a, a, a broken version of sign language to try to tell him what was about to happen. He touched his ears, pushed them in, and he released them. He was going to open his ears. He spit on his fingers, which is still ridiculous to say, but many times in this culture, people assumed that saliva had medicinal value, right? You ever see a dog get hurt? It's going to lick its wound. And so it was just showing him in, in this way Listen, like, I'm going to open your ears, I'm going to heal your tongue, and you are going to be able to speak. And that is exactly what he did. And he looks up to heaven, which he doesn't always do when he's healing people. He looks up to heaven, and he sighed deeply, and then he spoke this thing, which could very well have been the first thing that this man had ever heard. He said, be open in a language that he can understand, in Aramaic, he didn't speak to him in Hebrew, he spoke to him in a tongue he could understand. He met this man exactly where he needed to be met. He met the needs of exactly what his ailments were. And immediately, his ears were opened, he could hear. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. That in itself is a miracle as well, not just that he hear, but this man who was a mute who couldn't speak because he couldn't hear, he couldn't understand how to say words out loud, he began to speak clearly. 
He knew what he was saying. This man who had never been able to speak well, had never been able to hear, the first thing that he gets is an order from Jesus to tell nobody. Tell nobody. Because in Christ's timing, he was trying to lag things off so that he could be crucified at the appropriate time. It wasn't his plan to avoid crucifixion. He continuously says throughout scripture, it's not yet, not yet, it's not my time yet, it's not my, and then eventually, now it is the time. So he ordered them, tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't listen to him. This man literally had just been given the ability to speak and the ability to hear by Jesus Christ, and he could not shut up about it. What a miracle. And they were astonished, all these people, they, whoever they is, and they were astonished, and they said, he has done everything well. Meaning when he heals, he doesn't just heal slightly. He doesn't make the lame be able to limp. He makes them be able to run and dance and leap for joy. When he doesn't make the deaf hear slightly better, like we can with our medicine, with our hearing aids, with our different things. No, he makes them able to hear. He doesn't give the mute just the ability to speak. He creates in them a, a miracle in which they can now speak clearly and fluently. This is how he does everything. He does everything well. He does it fully. He makes whatever is broken whole. And this is what he does for us. This is what he continues to do for us today. When he saves you, he saves you completely. It is not broken, it is not lagging, it is not incomplete. No, when Christ redeems you, you are then redeemed. You are one of the redeemed that may walk on the road. You are one of the redeemed that will see heaven, that will be in the presence of God forever and ever. Amen. He does everything well. He does everything fully. He does everything completely. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, just as it was promised years and years and decades and centuries ago in Isaiah 35. Even longer ago for us now, thousands of years later, this is still the truth. Christ does everything well, and he does it for all. Who's the all? If we look back at the Gentile mother, for any of us who will be humble, any of us who will recognize how desperately we need Christ. He is capable. If we just understand that, he is capable of saving us. He is capable of redeeming us. He's capable of freeing us from the slave that so easily ensnares, from the, sl uh, from the sin that so easily ensnares and enslaves us. Not only are we saved through faith, through just believing Christ can do what he says he can do, but humble faith should be an ongoing way of our life. God has called us to be obedient, and he has called us to a life of holiness. But our growth should not always be marked by humility, and it should always be shown by that. That we recognize and understand how undeserving we are of God's grace. Because if we go back up, if we just look at this whole chapter together, we're going to see that it's from our hearts, from, for from within, out of people's hearts, verse 21, Come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts and murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's from within us. It's not caused by anything outside of us. That is our state. And without Christ, without us humbling ourselves before him, without just taking whatever he has left for us, 
That's where we'll remain. That's the conditions our hearts stay in. That's who we will be forever. And the wages of sin is death. God loves us so much that he wasn't going to leave us as humanity in that state. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and suffer and die and come to life again on our behalf. This woman so broken and so hurting for her daughter, desperate. Isn't that the same heart that God had for us? That we were possessed by evil. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way and to put in place out of his power and out of his authority to remove this evil from our lives, from our hearts. That is what he has come to do. Whoever you are now, that's not where God wants to leave you. Whatever state of suffering you're in, God is going to meet you on those conditions. He's going to speak to you in your own language. He's going to plug your ears. He's going to spit in his hand and touch your tongue, whatever that looks like. God's not going to leave you in that state. He's going to meet your needs. He's going to meet you where you are. And it's through Jesus that he does it. And we are in desperate need of it. We're going to see again, continuing on even next week. Because we're going to look at next week, the feeding of the 4,000. We already had the feeding of the 5,000 earlier on. And that was a predominantly a Jewish group of people. That was a lot of Jews. They were on their way to this uh, festival but next week we see even more. It's just complimented even more. Because that 4,000 and however many there were on top of that, that was a group of Gentiles. It's opened up for all of us. No matter your race, no matter your nation, no matter if you've spent your entire life worshiping these pagan gods like this woman did, there is hope in Christ for you. There is mercy available to you if we will just simply submit ourselves before him and be humble and give him our hearts, like I said, over and over again. Terry, if you'll come up with us. If you will, please stand as we worship one more time today. This altar is open for you. If, if this is still the unchecked condition of your heart, or even if you know Christ, but you've allowed these things to take over, if you've allowed your heart to be hardened by the sin in your life, the evil thoughts, the sexual desires, the theft, the murder, the adultery, the greed, the foolishness, if you think you know better, if you think you don't need God, I pray that he convicts you now. This altar is open to you. If you want to pray or be prayed with, please come join me.